you. So we take less of ourselves and accept more of the Lord. Paul said, die to ourselves daily. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. You're watching my live stream. It's not by accident that you're here or online. And you've never accepted Christ. You need more of Him. We're going to do a prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat the prayer with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I give myself to You. One in need of a Savior. I'm a sinner or I'm a backslider. I'm not where I should be in either case. Today I say, I need all of you. I need all of you. Less of me, more of you. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you for paying a price on my behalf. And today, I accept you as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you today for Calvary. And Lord, we lift today those who don't know you, our family, our friends, the co-worker, that neighbor. Father, those we've not yet met that we're going to share with this week, we're going to continue to plant a seed. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for watering the seed. And Lord, in our life as we walk, we're going to continue to say, I need more of you, more of you, more of you. Lord, we're going to have to die to ourselves and accept more of you and walk in your grace and walk in your mercy and allow you to continue to change us and make us different. Lord, put that true hunger in our hearts as we see in our bishop and Dr. Cheryl, the true hunger to share the word, the true hunger to share every chance and every opportunity we get to win the lost, to snatch them out of the hands of the enemy of this morning. We thank you already ahead of time. We praise you ahead of time. We glorify you ahead of time for their salvation. We don't see it with these eyes, but by faith we say yes, 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 and yes. Hallelujah. It's about you, Lord. It's about you. It's not about us. It's about you. It's about Calvary. It's about salvation. It's about the fact you conquered the grave. It's about the fact you sit at the right hand of the Father, alive and well today on our behalf. Lord, once again, we lift the Destiny School of Ministry students. Thank you for an opportunity to come and study your word, to show ourselves approved. Bless them. Lord, the network of the HCM. Pastor Ken here this morning, Lord, part of the network. Fresh touch and anointing upon him as he comes shortly to bring the word you've laid upon his heart. We thank you for the network touching the globe, Lord. Various, many ministries. And Lord, once again, we lift Apostle Sister C. We ask you to touch them. Ah, bring strength back to those bodies. Wisdom to the mind. Pastor Sister Gardner, thank you, God, for the years, for the years and the years and the years of dedication. And once again, we bring our bishop to you this morning. We thank you for healing in his body. We thank you for what doctors have been able to do now. We thank you for the touch of the Holy Spirit. Oh, hallelujah, Father, even now, at home watching, we ask you to touch him. Breathe upon him even now, Lord. You're not bound to the four walls of this church. Well, thank you that we serve a God that's everywhere. And we thank you for the touch even in his body right now. And Lord, we give you the rest of this service. Have your way. Have your way. Have your way. Have your way. 
have your way, Lord. Have your way, for it's more of you. It's more of you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. bring you greetings this morning from Bishop. He is home. He's getting better and better and better. We got some more answers this week, so uh, we're looking, it's looking up, and I love that. That's our God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And we have a treat today, this morning and this evening. You don't want to miss this evening. Dr. Ken Shelton, Bishop Ken Shelton from our network is with us. Amen. And uh, I thank God for this man and his wife and family. They have been family to us for a zillion years. But I, I'm sure he does not even realize his influence because on yesterday we even met uh, someone called in and uh, it was a pastor and he wanted to know about the network and as we were talking and talking with him uh, Bishop said well uh, you know we even we have Ken Shelton tomorrow in church and the, and the gentleman goes Ken Shelton I know Ken Shelton and that was it this guy's gonna join the network just because of Ken Shelton praise the Lord so I just thank God for him he is a humble man of God surrendered to God and he has an awesome word for us this morning. So I want you to stand this morning and welcome and give God praise for Bishop Kinship. Oh, I got it like I hadn't been around one of those things before. Hi. I haven't been here in a long time. And, I, you know, it's just so nice to be back together with you. Uh, if I've never met you, I want to introduce myself now. My name is Ken. On three, tell me your name. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate There's going to be a test tomorrow, so let's all remember everybody's name, all right? I just appreciate all of this worship, Pastor Eric, and all the worship team. Amen. I appreciate your worship, and I appreciate that anointed prayer, uh, Pastor Scott, and uh, all of the great ministries that go on here at Evangel. You can be seated. Before I begin, I would like to make an announcement to you. And that is, my wife and I have started a podcast. And the podcast is called The Fam Connection. And the way you can remember it is fam, like family. Everybody say The Fam Connection. Not Fam Connection, The Fam Connection. TheFamConnection.com. 
And uh, you can go, if you got your phone, you can look at it right now. Just don't turn your ringer on because we don't want the ringer to go off while I'm preaching, okay? But uh, it's about healthy relationships. That's what it's about. At the end of the service, uh, our ushers will have some cards that they'll be able to distribute as you leave. And all it is is just a little business card with the information. And here's what FAM is all about. FAM is an acronym. In other words, each of those letters stands for something. In this case, they stand for three sets of things. Families and marriage. Say that with me. Families and marriage. The second one is friendships and ministry. And then the third one, really, really important, food and music. Yeah, all the stuff. Yeah, all the stuff. Thank you, Jesus. I shout out amen on that one. Come on now. I get stuck on some food. <laughs> oh, man. So anyway, we've had uh, four uh, episodes so far. In our first three episodes, we interviewed uh, an educator and a counselor by the name of Rhonda Atkinson Paris, part of the network, Paris Bridge Ministries. Rhonda is a licensed counselor. She's a, an educator. She's a college professor in Tennessee. But here's the most important thing. She's been a friend of mine for 30 years. She and her husband, her husband is a son of mine in the faith. And I've known him since he was a little boy. And I've been his spiritual father since he was 12 years old. And now he's a full-time missionary, and he just got back from Zaire, and uh, no, Zambia. He got back from Zambia, where he uh, conducted a huge youth revival. And anyway, I interviewed her uh, for three episodes, Kitty and I did. Uh, Kitty is my wife. And uh, we talked about the, the qualities of a healthy relationship. How do you recognize a healthy relationship? And we listed about 10 things, and we talked about them, and we laughed, and we told jokes, and we cut up. And then on our last episode, just last week, I interviewed uh, a dear friend of mine who pastors Vertical Encounter Church in Detroit, Gail Brannon, uh, Jr. Gail is also my producer, a music producer, and a dear friend. And uh, Gail uh, just released a project called um, that's, uh, that's What Love Is, and it is an awesome project. You can download it. But anyway, that's what we talked about. We listened to some of the music. So in each episode, we interview, we talk about relationships, we talk about music, we talk about food, we talk about goodness, we talk about the glory of the Lord, we talk about church, we talk about all that stuff. And... Uh, and our website is up, so you can go to thefamconnection.com. You can listen to all the episodes. You can send us an email. You can give us your information. We'll keep you apprised of what's going on. And uh, that's all. We won't bug you with a 1,000 mails. It's just a, just a thing we're doing. We believe the Lord really led us to do it. We're going to be having conferences in churches. We're going to be having retreats. We're going to be talking about marriage. We're going to be helping people build healthy relationships. My wife uh, should be here shortly. I forgot some things, those cards, and uh, she had to go back to Brighton and get them. And then, but she loves me anyway. Uh, she's my first kiss. She's my very first, besides my mother, but that doesn't count. I was a baby then, right? She's my first romantic. Well, there was Lucy Bunch in the third grade, but Lucy didn't. She's my first kiss. I was 16 years old. And it was 1969, and five years later we were married, and that's been 47 years ago. And uh, 
My wife is a, uh, a public school teacher. She's been teaching English and history in the public schools for the last 25 years. Uh, she has a master's in children's literature. She was trained in writing at Columbia University. What does that mean? It means she corrects me every time I make a mistake when I'm preaching. That's what that means. We have three adult daughters. Our oldest daughter and her husband and their three children live in Clarkston. They go to the Assembly of God there. She's also a teacher. Our middle daughter uh, and her husband are in the ministry. They live in Heartland, Michigan. They have four children. And our baby daughter lives in Tennessee. She's also an educator. And she has three kids. So here's where I'm going with all that. I got ten grandkids. From seven months old to 20 years old and everything in between. Are you ready for this? Seven months, five, five, eight, ten, thirteen, thirteen, seventeen, and twenty. Those are the ages of my grandkids. And what that really means is I never have any money after Christmas. That's what that really means. I mean, I am busted after Christmas because, I mean, my wife's primary spiritual gift is shopping. And she loves to shop. Yep, she does. That is not my spiritual gift. My, my spiritual gift is what I'm doing right here. But uh, my second spiritual gift is when we go to the mall, I like to sit on those soft chairs with the little roller things on the back and you put a quarter in. Hypnotize all the husbands is what that is, right? So they don't notice a credit card bill. That's what that is. I'm so glad to be with you today. I'm so excited. And tonight, we're going to have a great time. I'm going to sing a song for you right now. It's a song that I just wrote. And I wrote it just for today, actually, and I recorded it in the studio. We put the soundtrack together last week, and it is about the message that I'm going to bring to you today. The message I'm going to bring to you today is called The Altar and the Anointing. And we're going to talk about those two concepts, but this song the Lord gave me just, uh, just a few days ago, and I'm grateful for that. That all sounds like really fancy and stuff, but hey, that's just how it works. I don't know how, you know... The Lord gives me stuff. I write it down, take it in the studio. Some people plug their ears. Some people like it. But the main thing is hopefully the Lord will use it. Go ahead, Val. Thank you very much. Worship with me. Wherever you are, you can make an altar to the Lord. He's never far. Away from you, of that you can be sure. Just open up the broken place inside you and watch His grace surprise you. Wherever you are, you can make an altar to the Lord. Sing it with me, it's so easy. Wherever you are, you can make an altar to the Lord. He's never far. He's never far away from you, of that you can be sure. Just open up the broken place inside you and watch His grace surprise you. Wherever you are, you can make an altar to the Lord. The Lord will answer with more than you can imagine He'll come and rescue you no matter what it 
happen He'll show his mighty hand And he will fight your battles If you just call his name Oh, that's what really matters Wherever you are Sing it with me You can build an altar to the Lord He's never far Away from you Of that you can be sure Just open up That broken place inside you That's where it is Watch His grace surprise you Wherever you are You can make an altar to the Lord Oh, wherever you are You can make an altar to the Lord Just open up that broken place yes and you will find his amazing grace oh just make your altar yes make an altar to the lord oh hallelujah would you stand to your feet? Just lift your hands one more time. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for your anointing in this house today. We thank you for your anointing on the Word. We thank you, Lord, that you hear us every time we call your name. We thank you, Lord, that you're never far away from us. We thank you, Lord, that no matter what our experiences, you are always right in the middle of them. Hallelujah. Oh, praise your name. Praise your name. Praise your name. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, turn to your neighbor and say, we're talking about the altar and the anointing. And you can be seated. Thank you, Pastor Eric. Thank you for the worship team. I appreciate it so much. The altar and the anointing are two words that if you've been in church for more than six months, you know very well. The altar is many things. The altar and the anointing. We have definitions for them. We have an understanding of what those two things are. But today... With God's grace and help, I hope to be able to show you how those two things are interconnected. Throughout the Bible, we read of people like Noah when he was instructed to build the ark. Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, Joshua, they built altars. Now, their altars were made usually of stones. Here's something I want you to get into your heart. You can write this down. Are you ready for this? In the Old Testament, there was hardly ever an altar without a struggle. Altars were made from broken stones. And those broken stones represent the struggles that we face or that they faced in their lives. Now, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, in another world, that's what the Old Testament is, as important as it is, as vital as it is, it was another time. It was another world. It was a different age. Can you say amen? And so when these men, always men, built their altars, 
they built their altars because they needed something from God. They needed a revelation from God. They made a sacrifice to the Lord. And it was something that was very special and very important to them. We read stories about Abraham taking Isaac up to be sacrificed on an altar. So, you know, every time, every single time you see one of the patriarchs build an altar, it was because there was a struggle, because they lacked understanding. Now, I just want to say this to you. You can go that route if you want to, but there's a better way. You didn't hear me, did you? You can go ahead in your struggle and break your stones and lay down there and beat the drum and try to just, you know, fight your way through this thing. But look, we are not in the Old Testament and we are not in the Old Covenant. But still, yeah, amen. But still, the images of those men building those altars is a very important backdrop for all that we're going to talk about on the altar. Because by the time a man had found a place, had collected the stones, broken the stones, and laid them on top of each other, maybe all by himself, he was tired. And by the time that had happened, he was desperate. And he needed something from God, and he needed God to hear him. But then, of course, as things progressed, and as the tabernacle was developed, and eventually the temple, we read about the altars in those two places. Each of these Old Testament examples are examples of worship and petition, but also revelation. So we have a little model of the Old Testament tabernacle or temple, the temple altar, and I want you to notice how elaborate it was, how involved it was, how deliberate it was, that there were steps that ascended to it, and there were only certain times of the year that certain sacrifices could be made, and many requirements and criteria involved in making an offering on an altar. But it was the centerpiece, and here's the thing I want to get to you, it was the centerpiece of Jewish faith. In the Old Testament, the altar in the most holy place, that sacred chamber in the temple, was the center of all religious revelation and purpose. The priests went in. That's where God met. The glory of the Lord settled over it. It was a beautiful backdrop for us. So much of what we experience today is because we have an understanding of what happened back then. Amen? But then we move forward and we come to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, Jesus taught us that the best altars are made in a place that he referred to as your closet. Now, if I told you I was going to go to your house and look in your closet in about an hour... You know where I'm going with that, right? You're going to get there before me. You're going to clean that baby up. I understand how it goes. And I would do the same thing, right? Your closet. So here's the thing. Your closet is a place where, you know, you, you may set things down. Some people are really organized. You know, they got everything all. But I'm not. You know, that stuff just hangs there. Actually, let me tell you a story. When we built our house, there was a closet in our bedroom and one in each of our girls' rooms. Then I finished the basement. 
I got the basement all finished, built a family room down there, and then the girls left the house. So I turned one of the bedrooms into like a little suite for us back in the back. Well, my wife not only took the closet in our bedroom, but she took the closet in that other room too. I built a closet. She took the whole thing. And then, and then uh, I built uh, two closets in the bedrooms downstairs. And you know what? She took one of those closets and filled it up. And then we've got a storage area where clothes that we're not using are hung. And she's got that. I've got one closet in the house. That's what I've got. And stuff is squeezed together. If, it, if there was a requirement that I entered my closet to pray, I'd be in trouble because I could barely get in that thing because I got shoes and guitar cases and everything I own is stuck and crammed in my closet. That's not what a closet means in the New Testament. If you really study that, what it means is Jesus says, go, go to your room. Oh, how many times have we heard that? Just go to your room. Anybody ever had a time out? Can I see your hands? Yeah. Wait, no, no, wait, put them down. Anybody need a timeout? Can I see your hands? <laughs> no pointing, no pointing at anybody, right? So, you know, we go into your room. Jesus said, listen, when you pray, when you pray. Now, Jesus took some things for granted when he was talking about prayer. He said, when you pray. He said, when you fast. He said, when you give. He didn't say if, he said when. He just expects certain things to happen because we're people of faith, not because he's hard-nosed or has these stiff requirements of us, but he just wants us to know that that's the natural lifestyle of a person of faith. When you pray, when you pray, go to your room. Oh, wait a minute. What if I'm on vacation? Well, you go up to your hotel room. No, that's not what it's talking about. The Bible has revealed to us that inside of our hearts, we have a chamber a place that carries our secrets. A place that carries our memory and our pain. A place that carries pictures. Last week I asked my 17-year-old grandson to come over because he likes to deadlift. You know what deadlift is? He deadlifts about 400 pounds. I said, hey, Slade, why don't you come over and help me clean out my basement? So he carried all the boxes up there, and we started going through things. And you know what? It is amazing what you accumulate over 47 years. I just want to say some very embarrassing pictures. I just <laughs> the 70s were known for some awful hairstyles. I had a mullet. I, I want to confess to you today that I had a mullet in the 90s. Now here's my other confession. I got it permed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I let some hairdresser talk me into that. And uh, I know, right, right. So, I mean, when you go to your closet, you're going to find some embarrassing things, I'm telling you. When you go to your chamber, when you go to your room, when you go to your place of prayer, there's all sort of stuff that greets you in there. There's memories of failures and shortcomings. And hey, listen, there's even the weight you've been carrying around of that abuse that you suffered. That's in that room. You got a place for it where you've stored it. You've just put it on a little shelf there. Broken relationships in that room. Yeah, you said, yeah, I got a fresh start. Yes, sir. And you did. You did. You did. But you know what? We don't forget those things. And those things become 
a living part of who we are. Now, I know some people, and I know they are well-intentioned, and they would tell you that when you go to pray, you just forget all those things, and you just get... No, don't forget all those things. Because every one of those little things in that room, every, every bit of that pain, every bit of that heartache, every bit of that broken relationship, every bit of that memory that you have, every bit of the joy, every bit of the wonderful memories, all of it, God was present with you through that circumstance. And it's part of your story. And it's one of the ways that we renew our faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But we also overcome by the blood of the lamb and what? Well, your testimony is your story. So if you don't know your story, you need to get a pen and paper and start writing it down because your story... Now, wait a minute. If we overcome because of the word of our story, your story is where your power is. Now, some of us have some stuff in our story we're not particularly proud of. You go into your closet and you start looking in that storybook and you're going to find some things that you wish you hadn't have done. Some people you wish you hadn't have met, some relationships you wish you could have held on to a little bit longer, some difficulties. Yep, you're going to find some joy, some wonder, some grace, some glory. But in that closet is where you keep your story. Now let me tell you, there's an attendant for your closet. And that attendant stands there every time you go in and he tells you, don't tell your story. You know, if you tell your story, people are going to think bad things about you. If you, if you talk about that broken relationship, if, if, you talk, if you talk about that stupid thing you did when you were 18, well, guess what? Your brain isn't even fully formed until you're 25, so shut up. Did you know that? Everybody put your hand right here. Say frontal cortex. That part of your brain that is responsible for understanding the long-term consequences for our decisions doesn't even develop until you're 25 they put you in a car at 16, they let you vote at 18, they let you drink at 21, they let you go off to fight a battle at 18, and your brain doesn't even work yet. Of course we're going to do stupid stuff. We're going to hurt people, we're going to break relationships, we're going to act foolish, we're going to drink like idiots, we're going to act like fools. Guess what? That's all in your closet. You say, I didn't want that. It's all under the blood. Yeah, you're right, but the blood's in your closet too. So when you go into your closet and you see that stuff, don't you be afraid of all that. Do you hear me? The attendant of that closet wants you to fear who you were. The attendant of that closet wants you to believe that we never change. That what you were is what you will always be. That what you did is what you are bound to repeat. But I'm here to tell you today that because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of God, we are not destined to repeat our failures or our struggles. When you go into your closet of prayer, you go ahead and take out those pictures and you just hold them up in that attendant's face and you say, I just want to talk to you for a minute about what my Jesus did for me back then. Oh, I did that thing. I did that thing, but I didn't know any better. But guess what? I know better now. And let me tell you what I know. I know my Jesus. Come on. 
I know who he is. I know what he does. I know his power. I know his grace. I know his anointing. I know his blood. I know his authority. I know that he is greater and there are greater things in store for me. So don't you wag your finger in my face, Mr. Devil, and tell me I am bound to repeat my mistakes. Yes, they are in my closet, but they are under the blood in that closet. Somebody say amen. Oh, just throw up your hands and let's give God praise right now. So when you go into your closet to pray, the beautiful thing about that chamber of your heart is you can be anywhere, brother. You, you might be in your room. You might be at your house. You might be on your lawnmower, your riding tractor there. You, you might be in your car going down the road. You might be in the middle of a business meeting. You might be facing the worst trial of your life. You might be in a hospital room. You might be in a waiting room waiting for information. You might be, you see what I'm saying? You carry your closet with you. You carry it with you. It is always there. Oh, you know, the Old Testament saints wished they would have had such a thing. You see, because as powerful as those Old Testament altars were, and those sacred places of worship where the males were required to go three times a year to attend the festivals of the Jewish people, and where they had to find the hand of God moving, well, you know, it was just hard to get to Jerusalem. So there was Shiloh. Well, it was hard to get to Shiloh. So they set up little, little places where people could come and where they could. But see, for them, each time they set up a place, it seemed to diminish the power of that central place in Jerusalem. But that's not the case with you. Because you get to carry your closet. You get to take it with you. That, oh, Father God, in the name of Jesus. I had a bishop one time years ago tell me, he actually was preaching, and he said it this way. He said sometimes, and, you know, he, he, was, uh, he, he had a lot of responsibility, but he said, sometimes I don't know what to do. And I stop where I am. And he said, I know this isn't sophisticated, and the theologians might want to correct me. But I stop where I am and I say, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I need you right now. Could you just lift your hands and say that with me? Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I need you right now. Hey, hey, listen, man. Jesus went to the tomb side of his good friend Lazarus. Mary and Martha were upset at him. His disciples were upset at him. Everybody was upset at him. You know, when you do the will of God, people are going to be upset at you. You're going to be heading in a direction. People want you to go that way. The Lord's going to say, go this way. Look, go where the Lord wants you to go. Jesus went, stood there. He cried. Jesus wept. We know that story, right? But then he prayed. After he reminded them that he was the resurrection and the life, after he did all of that, he prayed, he cried. And this is what the scripture said. And he lifted up his face toward the heaven. Now, you just saw a picture of a nice young lady there kneeling down with her head bowed. That's okay, too. There is no particular posture of prayer. Not on our knees, not standing up, not laying down. You can do all of those things, but there is no requirement. But this is what Jesus said. He lifted up his face to the heavens and he said, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. 
wherever you are. People were chasing him. People were criticizing him. People were wanting things from him. Sometimes he was tired of people, pulled himself away, went alone to get alone with the Father. But he could say at the tomb side of his dear friend, I am thankful that you always hear me. You always hear me. Well, let me tell you what happens. When you start praying, let me tell you what happens. When, when you open that closet door and you start praying, you just begin and you, you stumble over your words or you, you're not sure where to go. And so you pick up a ritual, something that you've prayed a hundred times. Maybe it's the Lord's Prayer. Maybe it's just the way you've always started. Maybe you got a lot of, oh, Lord God's in there. You know how people say, oh, Lord God. And uh, yes, oh, Lord, you know, when people are preaching, they don't know what to say. They just throw in a few, oh, Lord God's. And people do the same thing when they're praying, right? Say, oh, Lord God, oh, Lord, you know, you mean, but let me tell you what happens. When you start doing that, your high priest goes into intercession for you. Jesus, let me tell you why it doesn't fully depend on you. Your victory does not fully depend on you. Your victory is sealed up in the finished work of the cross. And the thing that you're going through, the thing that you're struggling with, when you start to pray, Jesus starts praying with you. Oh, every time. Don't ask me how he does it. I can't tell you. But if I know the word, and if I believe the word is true, and I'm a yes on both of those, I got to tell you, the word says that Jesus is our high priest. He, he is our high priest. When I start to pray, I set something in motion, Scott. When I start to pray, I just have to start. i tell you what, when you go out to your car and you put the key in the ignition or you push that little button or whatever it is you want to do now for whatever model of car you have, whenever you turn that thing on, you set things in motion that if you're not careful or are beyond your control. And let me tell you, when you start to pray, if you pray a heartfelt prayer, you set things in motion that are beyond your control. And the God who is in control begins praying in your behalf. And so you start praying as you're inspired to pray and you hit a dead end. Anybody ever hit a dead end in prayer? Oh, let me remind you, not only is Jesus praying for you, but he said to his disciples, look, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send, I'm going to send a comforter. And you're going to know him because he'll not only be with you like I am, but he'll be in you. And he will guide you into all truth. And Paul said in the book of Romans, he said, look, he said, all creation groans and travails in pain. Suddenly, I get a picture of those Old Testament guys at the altar. You see that? All creation groaning. All creation is all of history, the history of creation. Every human, every creature, every creature, all creation groans with the pains of childbirth. And we, Paul said, who are the first fruits of the gospel, of the good news, we who are the first ones to have been saved have been brought in, we groan within ourselves awaiting the redemption of our bodies. The time when we are no longer troubled with this pesky humanity. The time when we are no longer struggling with our flesh. The time, oh, we wrestle with it and we yearn for that day to come. And then Paul said, but there are times 
in that yearning that we don't know what we should pray for. In that groaning with all creation that you don't know what to pray for. But don't worry. Because the Holy Spirit makes intercession for you, get this, with groanings. If all you can do when you pray is say, no, Jesus, that is enough. If all you can do is say, oh, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Say it with me. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Let me tell you, your groan is a heavenly sound. It's the song of your spirit. Your groan is the music of your inner person. Your groan is the sound of your praise echoing off the walls of your prayer closet. Because no matter what has happened, is happening, or will happen, when you start praying, Jesus and the Holy Spirit go to work for you, praying with you, praying in your behalf. I love what Paul said in Romans 8. He says, because... He makes intercession for the saints with groans which can't be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. doesn't matter what's in your mind. You hear me? When you start praying and your heart is open before the Lord and you've got these, look, stuff's going to pass through here. That's right. You've got to do the dishes. You've got to vacuum the house. You've got to do this. You've got to heal that relationship. If you did these six things, God would do. That's just not how it works, friends. No. He that searches your, not your mind, he that searches your resume. He that searches your resume. No, not your resume. He doesn't care about your resume. He's got your righteousness covered. Why would he worry about your resume? He that searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because he, the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Woo! Glory to God. You know what that means? Hey, when I go to my closet in the morning, I don't look my best, I got to tell you. (laughs) It ain't real pretty. When I go in my closet, but here's the thing, it doesn't matter because I'm going to get dressed in my closet. You see what I'm saying? And when I get in my closet and I start praising and worshiping, I may not look my best. My words may not be the right words. I may say the wrong things. I may pray the wrong prayer. But if I'm praying in sincerity and humility and in the name of Jesus, Jesus grabs my imperfect prayer. Jesus somehow... He seizes my imperfect prayer and he and the Holy Spirit rush it to the Father and they pray in my behalf. And if you don't believe that, what are you doing this morning? I mean, why are we doing all this if we don't believe? If it depends on my prayer, we're in trouble, people. I got to tell you because there are plenty of times I don't know what I'm supposed to pray. I don't even know where to start. Man, I just went through a thing with somebody I love. Last weekend, two weekends ago, I had four friends die. I mean, stuff happens. I don't know how to pray. I got a friend right now that taught me how to sing in church, man. I mean, she and her brother, man, we, we sang together in a trio. That's where I learned how to flow with the anointing. Man, she's got dementia. She's just about five years older than me. She's in the hospital. Her systems have shut down. You know, it's a hard thing, man. People are saying pray for her. I don't even know how to pray for her. I know what I want to pray for, but all I know to do when I pray for her is I I have this groan going on inside of me because I hurt for her. Because you see, when you groan, you have empathy. 
When you groan, you have... Un- Groaning is a kind of spiritual understanding. That you feel the sense of what is going on and you are not going to run away from it because that groan will turn to praise shortly. If you just keep where you're supposed to be and let that groan be reinterpreted by Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. And as you begin to worship in the Holy Spirit, miracles transpire. You say, well, well Bishop, man, I, I prayed. I prayed and, uh, and that didn't happen. I prayed and, and my brother died. Hey, I got to tell you something. I prayed for people that got healed like that. And I, I prayed for a couple people that died the next day. I hate to tell you that, but that's true. So you may not want to come up for prayer. I don't know, but. We're not always in control of what the final outcome is. But we know that God surely is in control of the outcome. And don't you ever stop your intercession. Don't you ever stop your prayer. Don't you ever stop your groaning. Because it is in the process of staying in that moment that miracles begin to happen. You know, I was raised in a Pentecostal church where we learned how to tarry. Anybody here ever learn how to tarry? Let me see your hands if you know how to tarry. You know, I got to tell you, man, I, I loved those services. The men were on one side, the women were on the other. You know, those holiness churches, you know, and men could only hug the men, women could only hug the women. It was, it was just that the way we grew up. It was just the culture that we grew up in, right? And, and so, you know, you're down there praying. And I had this little guy that died last weekend, man. He was my Sunday school teacher, Jim Roll. And, and man, he'd get down there. He had a really high voice like this. And he was a little guy with a really high voice like this. And he'd pray. He'd pray over me in the altar. When I was praying uh, for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that's, that's the way he was taught. So that's what he did for me. Kenny, Kenny. That's what they called me, Kenny. Kenny, Kenny, Kenny. I want you to pray right now. Just hold on. Just hold on. Just hold on. Just hold on. Just let go. Just let go. Whoa, just hold on and let go. Just hold on and let go. Turn to your neighbor and say, hold on and let go. <sighs> I wanted to fake the tongues just to get him to stop screaming over me. When I was a youth pastor in that same church, I had this one guy who's now a pastor over in the Grand Rapids area, he grew up in our ministry, and uh, he, <laughs> he wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit so bad. And he was about 16 years old, 15, and he'd come from the uh, Free Methodist Church. And so his family had come in, and he saw us all praying, so he got down there and did that. And I saw him. He was going through the motions. Everything everybody else did, he did. Just thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Glory, 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 glory. But, but he wasn't sure what was going to happen next, so we always had this eye open. You know. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Like the Holy Ghost was going to sneak up on him and go, boom, <laughs> gotcha, you know. <laughs> well, he was sincere, and he got it. You know, he, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and, you know. Here's the thing is, you know, the way you learned it isn't the only way it happens. You didn't hear me. The way you learned it, it isn't the only way it happens. Because I wanted the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and they screamed at me for a year, and I didn't get it. And I went to a church service, the most boring church service I'd ever been to in my life. I was about 15 years old, 14 years old. I was sitting there. I thought, I cannot wait till this thing is over. It was just uh, boring. And, and then, you know, the, the guy that was preaching or whatever it was he was doing up there, he, he said, well, you know, I'm just going to stop the service. And he said, I just want... If you just want to tell the Lord how much you love him, why don't you just come on down to the altar? And there's about six or 700 people in that place. 
And I thought, well, I love Jesus. And I don't even know how to describe to you what happened next. I'll do my best. I just felt like, yeah, I love Jesus. I don't, I don't even care if I speak in tongues. I just am going to go tell Jesus I love him. I was 14 years old. And I made my way down to that little altar on the men's side. And I knelt down there, and I just started talking. Pastor, I just started talking to him. Lord, I love you. I love you. I remember like it was yesterday. Lord, I love you. I just love you. I love you so much, and I worship you. And then all of a sudden, I wasn't speaking English anymore. To my knowledge, nobody was praying with me. Nobody was screaming in my ear. Nobody was pouring oil on my head. Nobody was beating me about the head with a Thompson Chain reference Bible. I, I, just, was, I just was telling. I, I just, in my heart, I just thought, you know what? I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm just trying to give you something. I just want to give you my praise, Lord. And it was in the middle of just giving him my praise that the Holy Spirit, and, and I heard myself speaking in tongues, and I thought, I better stop this because this is like blasphemy. I don't have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I shouldn't be speaking in tongues. Because, you know, we're taught weird stuff, right? So I tried to pray again. I just prayed in the Spirit, man. That's all that would come out, just praying in the Spirit. I realized that day, as I realized again preparing for this message, that the primary, the only real requirement when you go to your closet to pray is that your prayer needs to be heartfelt. It needs to be sincere. And so I just put this little graphic up for you. It says that a heartless altar is nothing more than a powerless ritual. Now, you can pray a ritual prayer if your heart's in it, and it'll work. Or you can pray a made-up prayer without your heart in it, and it won't work. But when you open up your heart, you, 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 put your hand right there, you, you own that. That's your place right there. You've got the key to that. That closet, that room of memories and pain and joy and wonder and all makes up your name and your life, your story. You hold the key to that thing. You hold it and you can open that door and that heartfelt prayer causes things to happen. Let me show you how to do it, all right? Now, I could just ask you right now, everybody lift your hands and praise the Lord, and you would do that, and because I asked you to do it, and because you're nice, and we're in church, and that's what we do, but I don't want you to do that. If you really have a heartfelt desire to worship God, just close your eyes and lift your hands and just praise Him right now, just with your heart. You see what you just did? You just walked in your closet. That's what you just did. That's all you did right there. That's it. Now, let's talk about that second word, and I'm going to wrap up here. The first word's the altar. The second word is the anointing. We use the anointing in a loose sort of translation. For us, the word anointing, of course, we understand it means to pour oil over something, and it was an Old Testament ritual as well as a New Testament reality. But what we usually mean by the term the anointing when we use it is that we have a sense of God's presence, that we feel the grace to worship pray and minister. You notice what I said? We sense and we feel. That, that's how we interpret what we call the anointing. 
It's usually accompanied by feelings, emotions. You might get some chill bumps. You might have had some chill bumps today. You might feel something stirring on the inside. You know, we feel these things. That's how we acknowledge and interpret what's happening and how we've defined it as the anointing. And it results usually in signs and wonders and miracles that take place. But now the Bible refers to the anointing in a different way. While those things I just mentioned are real and true, and they are a byproduct of the presence of God in our lives, the word anointing in the Bible means two things. Get ready. It means assignment and authority. When you are anointed to do a thing, you are called to a function, to a role, to an office, to a moment, to an opportunity. You're given an assignment, and with that assignment comes the authority. You've heard people say, God will never take you where his grace can't keep you. Same idea, but as it pertains to the anointing, the anointing is an awareness that you're special. The anointing is the awareness that every single person sitting in this place today is special in the sight of God. God's got a place for you. And God has given you authority in that place. Authority to operate in the gifts of the Spirit as is necessary for that assignment that he's given you. Now that does not mean, or that I should say, that does not eliminate all those things that I just said about the anointing. The sensing, the feeling, the chill bumps, the stirring, all of that goes with it. That is how we recognize we're in our spot and we've got the authority. Are you with me? That's how we recognize it. Now, there might be some moments that you don't feel it immediately, but as you begin worshiping in your assignment and in your authority, it's like putting jumper cables on a car. You can start a dead car with a jumper cable. You know, you can you could take a car that is absolutely lifeless and put a jumper cable on it with a car that's got plenty of life, and you will start that thing up because there is life flowing through it. And there are some times and in some ways that even in my assignment, I'm around the wrong people. I got the wrong people in my closet. Yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm looking for authority and anointing and power, and I don't get the chill bumps. I'm just bored, and nothing is happening. But then I get around the right people. I got to tell you something that happened. Last November, I went down to visit my daughter, my youngest daughter in Tennessee. My wife and I did, and I hadn't been feeling well for about, I don't know, a week. felt pretty poor. And um, I went down anyway. I lost 13 pounds in three days. All I, could, all I could imagine, like I remember before I left to go down there, I was mowing my lawn, and all I, all I could see in my mind for like three days was a tall, sweaty, gorgeous bottle of Diet Pepsi. I, I was so thirsty. You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? <laughs> See what's in your closet. See what I just told you. <laughs> I really, it's all I have. I'd be driving my little lawn tractor thinking, man, I want a Pepsi. I just had one, but I want another one. And then, oh, man, you know. So I lost a bunch of weight. But anyway, I went down to see my daughter anyway because I wanted to see her and I wanted to see the grandkids. And I got down there, and let me tell you what happened. Three days didn't feel good. Finally, I said, I'm going to go to the urgent care. So I went to the urgent care, and this is how I knew I was special. 
See, they said, you now have to go to the hospital, sir, because you are a medical emergency. I said, oh, well, I always knew I was special. Yeah. I said, what do you mean? They said, our uh, glucometer that measures blood sugar, it only goes to 500, and yours is beyond that. So, so we got to put you in the hospital. We don't have a choice, so get in your car and go over. So I went over there, and they put me in the ICU for about two or three days. Well, <clears throat> you know, I gave my life to the Lord a long time ago. Some good stuff has happened and some bad stuff has happened, but I'm just not worried about it. I'm just not, I, I don't mean to be arrogant. I'm just not worried about it. Uh, you know, it's going to be all right. Somehow it's going to be all right. So the doctors came in. They taught me how to use insulin. Dietitian came in, gave me all the papers, eat this, don't eat that. And I think, yeah, that's what you think. So, you know, they're, they're telling me all this stuff. And they said, this is type 1 diabetes, not type 2. This is not insulin resistance. This is my pancreas had retired. It just gave up. It was an autoimmune attack against my pancreas. So my pancreas would not send out any insulin. So anyway, I learned how to do all that. And I was staying with some good Christian people. And people were praying for me. Oh, Lord, touch Brother Ken. Oh, Lord, touch Brother Ken. God, just touch him right now. I hope he gets better. God, just touch Brother Ken. Lord, how are you doing now? You doing better? Oh, God, touch Brother Ken. You know, that's what I got for three days. And then Dr. Cheryl called me. Man, that phone lit up. It was on fire. In the name of Jesus, I take authority. God will heal what he will reveal. I laying in that bed. You remember that day? I started speaking in tongues in the bed going, Whoop, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Get me out of this place. Get me out of here. I want to go home now. So there's praying, and then there's praying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you, this kind of prayer, Lord Jesus, God bless my brother. God bless him really good. That's a guy that just opens a closet door and looks in every now and then. Thank you, Father God, in the name of Jesus. That's a person that lives in their closet a lot. <laughs> She's a diva. She can't help it. Just how it is, right? I won't read this whole passage of Scripture. If you hadn't noticed, I hadn't read a text yet in the book of Luke chapter 7. You can go over there. It's the story, and I won't read it all just in interest of time, but... As you know, Jesus, and this is in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's in Luke, the same story. Jesus had gone in the town of Bethany to the home of uh, a Pharisee, a famous Pharisee, uh, Simon the leper. I'm not sure I would want that name, but I mean, that's how he was known. Oh, you mean Simon the leper? It's like Ken the ugly? I don't know, you know, whatever. Anyway, that's how he was known, and they were reclining. You know, back in those days, they didn't sit down at the table. This is how they ate. Yep, this is how they ate right here. Leaned over on their arm, and they just ate. Now, here's the great benefit of eating like that. You never spill food on your clothes. Yeah. And, and because you're not bent at the waist, you can eat more. See, that's what that was about. So he was reclining at the table, and all these Pharisees were talking. And, and all of a sudden, you know this story. Uh, we could read the text, but you know the story. A woman, say a woman. Just say a woman. Now, I don't want the men to get upset at me. But I just want to talk about the women for a minute. Because all the guys at the table, they wanted information. They wanted prestige. They wanted fellowship. They wanted something from Jesus. Jesus. 
They wanted something from him. People always wanted something from him. Uh, this lady walks up behind Jesus. He's laying there, his feet are out this way. The scripture says she comes up behind him and she starts crying on his feet. Now, I don't know about you, but I keep my shoes on. I'm just sorry. I, I eat with my shoes on. If I had my shoes off and somebody cried on my feet, I'd feel a little weird about it, right? I mean, that's, a, that's kind of like a little too intimate for me if I don't know you well. You know, in fact, I can tell you right now, I'm 68. Nobody's ever cried on my feet. She cried on his feet. You see the image of it. She cried on his feet, and she took her hair, and she dried his feet. And she took, and you know this story, she took this jar out, made of alabaster full of nard. You know, just think if you picked up a lady for dinner and you said, hey, you smell pretty. What's that perfume you're wearing? Nard. You know, it's not, not a very good name. I think they've improved perfume names. But she took that jar and she broke it and she poured it on him. Well, you know the story. The disciples and the Pharisees, they were usually in opposition to each other. They went together on this one. Judas was the ringleader. He says, hey, we shouldn't be doing this. How many of you have heard that before? We shouldn't be doing this. No, we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't act like that. We shouldn't pray like that. The men need to be on that side. The women need to be on that side. You know, people don't, you know, this way and that way, and it shouldn't happen this way. And she took that oil, she poured it over his head, and she anointed him. And they began to criticize and say, we, we could at least sell that and give that money to the poor. I love what Matthew said in his version of it. And I'll, I'll tell you the scripture right now, because you'll want to go there. It's, it's just pretty funny. It's uh, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 10. Why are you bothering this woman? Why are you bothering this woman? Leave her alone. Because she has done a good work for me. He said, I came in your house, and since the time I came in here, you have not done anything for me. You did not wash my feet. You did not provide for me in any way. Nope. But since that woman came in, she has not stopped crying on my feet. That woman, nobody ever taught her about a closet. Nobody ever taught her about a closet of prayer. Wherever you are, you can make an altar to the Lord. That was her altar. And she didn't want anything from him. She wanted to give him something. So here's what I want to tell you. you the anointing you desire from God in your life is consistent with the anointing you give to Jesus. Now you say, wait a minute, I don't get that, I don't get that. Your altar and your anointing go hand in hand. I'm not saying a physical altar, I'm talking about your prayer closet. Would you put that image up for me about the, the yeah, there's a direct relationship between the altar and the anointing. And so as I begin to give to Jesus, just to give him, I don't mean random loose praise. I mean heartfelt worship. You see, when you go to your closet and you remember that bad thing, and then you go there and you take it out and you say, Lord, 
I remember how you brought me out of that. I remember what you did for me. I was lost, but I am found. I was blind, but now I see. I know that I wouldn't trade that experience. That pain brought me to where I am right now. And Lord, I just worship you. I worship you because when I was 15 years old or 18 years old or 25 years old, or when I, went, I thank you, Lord, that when I went through this, you did that. I thank you, Lord. Let me tell you what happens as you open up your heartfelt prayer in gratitude, not just in random praying, but in heartfelt prayer, sincerely praying and worshiping God. Don't have to get all weird about it. Just open up your heart and be you. You don't have to pray like me. For the Lord's sake, don't pray like me. Don't pray just like me. If you pray like me, you'll struggle like me. I don't want to pray like you. If I pray like you, I'll struggle like you. You pray like you. You pray out of your pain. You open up your broken place. You let the grace of God come into that place. You go ahead. Don't be afraid of how you feel or what you're going through right now. But you just open it up and you worship God in the middle of that and you anoint his feet with your tears and you worship him and you praise him and you pour your oil of worship on him. Stand to your feet with me if you would. Man, I want the anointing. If you'd put that last image up for me. Thank you. I appreciate it. The anointing you desire from Jesus is consistent with the anointing you give to Jesus. I want you to think about that for a minute. Now, I'm not creating a theology of works here. I'm not saying that if you push A, God will do B. I'm just telling you how a thing works. I don't care how bad I want my car to start. It's not going to start if I don't start it. And if you want a sense of God's presence in your life, if you want the feelings that accompany the anointing, And if you want an awareness of your assignment and the authority that God has placed in your life, stop worrying about it and start pouring your praise on Jesus. Because when you start pouring your praise on Jesus, mighty things begin to happen. I just feel like I want to stop right now and ask you if you want to pour your praise on Jesus. I want you to step out of your seat and come and find a place to stand here along the front. If you're uncomfortable to get in crowds, don't come. And I understand. And don't worry about it. I'm just saying if you want to do that with me, just find a place to come and stand. And I'd like to ask all of you, if you would, just to lift up your hands. And just begin to praise Him. Wherever you are. You can make an altar to the Lord. He's never far away from you of that you can be sure. Just open up the broken place inside you and watch His grace surprise you. Wherever you are, you can make an altar to Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Right now, lift up your voices and worship before him. I want you to thank the Lord for how he brought you out. Rehearse your story. Thank him for that deliverance. Thank him for his work in your life. Be specific. Come before the Lord with thanksgiving in your heart. 
come into his presence with praise. Hallelujah. Sincere, heartfelt worship. It's not because it's this altar. As sacred as this place is, it's what's going on in your heart right now. There's so much pressure on us right now. There's so much pressure on us in this culture to look a certain way, to speak a certain way, to sound a certain way, to act a certain way, to come across a certain way. Forget about all that. And think about coming before the Lord and worshiping Him and praising Him because of His goodness and because of His mercy. Oh, there's such a grace, such a grace that's present here right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, yes, wherever you are, you can make an altar to the Lord. He's never very far away from you. You heard me today. You heard me, and you received what I said. And because you opened your heart and said, Yes, Lord, the Lord says to tell you that he is. 